Welcome to episode 433 of The Sleeper in the Bust. It is Thursday, March 2nd. I'm your host, Paul Spohr, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, we're officially in March. Baseball season is is legitimately here now. How you doing? I am in it to right. win it. Yep, yep. This yep. is this is the weekend I go to. Uh, this is the weekend that I go to labor. Labor is this weekend. A L Labor League of Alternate Baseball Reality. Forty dollars, David Price. Forty dollars, David Price. Yep. There's That's, your, that'll be my opening bid. Yep. There's your uh, there's your game plan, <clears throat> and you just won the league. You're welcome. Uh, you know. I got a question for you, okay? We're gonna, we're we're gonna lead off with this question. It's a question we've covered in previous seasons, but I know that we add new listeners all the time, and so they may not have heard your answers last year. How do you utilize spring training for fantasy gain? We've heard a million times the stats don't mean anything. We've seen st- studies that suggest eh, they might not mean a lot, but to say they don't mean anything at all goes a little bit too far. Um, obviously, you can watch games, so. What, what what do you do to say instead of just having it on in the background? Like how how do you gain out of fantasy or, or, or out of spring training? Then we've talked about how I like to know velocities mm-hmm. and that uh, you know every tick of velocity is good and new pitches are good no matter what. Even if they're sort of averageish new pitches, they're still they're still useful. Um, so those are the two things I'm looking for is trust of new pitches and velocity from the pitcher side. On the hitter side, almost nothing except I like to see plate appearances. I like to see the guy play a lot. If if they're looking at this person to play every day, I think they want to see them a lot. So plate appearances actually is something I might track or, or just might see how long they stay in the game or how often they're a starter in the spring. That makes sense. Uh, if it's like, you know, two left left fielders going at it, like in Texas, I might watch who's playing the most in left field because there's Ryan Rua and Jerkson Profar mm-hmm. and Gallo. You know, Gallo and yeah, so if, if Gallo's getting a ton of playing time, it'll probably you know, he might have good numbers at the plate, but it might be just more important. And then the last thing for hitters actually this is important for Gallo, is strikeout rate. And I know I'm not looking at strikeout rate now, but three weeks into spring training, you're you're like three weeks into the season you might be looking at strikeout rate. So, you know, around fifty is not necessarily predictive, but it is Strikeout rate is one of those things that becomes meaningful quicker than other things. So it's one of those ones where I'm not gonna take a guy, you know, forward or backward in a big way. But if, if say Gallo is playing more often than the other left fielders and his strikeout rate has ticked forward, then I might consider Gallo more of a sleeper, more of a one to five dollar guy than I do now. You know, right now Absolutely. I'm staying away because I don't really see him as having a role right now that's carved out for him, and the strikeouts make him very risky. Yeah, I'm just uh, I'm generally not not in on Gallo, but I won't ignore, like you say, if the playing time really shifts and all of a sudden uh, he's doing well. I know that there's been studies that suggest that uh, ISO, you know, uh, slugging minus average, raw power can have some value even in these small samples if a guy is way above his his normal slugging uh he could be he could be tracking towards some some power changes stolen base opportunities if we see guys running a lot 
that can also portend some some future success on the base pass. So those are just a few things that you can do. But honestly, I think the most value that you're going to get is if you can sit down and watch games of particular pitchers, especially guys that aren't quite uh, fully established. You know, watching Verlander start today, if it wasn't on TV, but if it would have been, I'm not sure that you're going to learn too much. We know Justin Verlander is, if he's healthy, he's a total stud. But, you know, watching like a Carlos Rodon and seeing some, some enhanced fastball command, if, if that were the case, this is a hypothetical thing. I haven't seen anything from him this spring. That'd be something where you're like, okay, I'm clued in on that. That looks impressive. And if maybe the announcers are talking about something similar as well, that's another aspect is that the announcers can give you some pretty interesting information uh, as well, just little tidbits that they picked up about potential changes. But by and large, um, you're just, you're not going to get a lot of game changing information in spring training. So, you know, don't, don't get too crazy over it. I know we're psyched that baseball's back, but we're not going to get a lot. A lot of it, uh, uh, other stuff that's going to be a lot more useful, excuse me, is going to be injury news. We know that for sure. And I alluded to it earlier. And, uh, David Price is scratched from his next start because of an elbow, uh, concern. And I believe he's going to visit Dr. James Andrews. The worst news that you can possibly get. Um, Colette and I had a, had a cry session because his teammate, Handler Ramirez, is also out for the WBC with a shoulder injury, the, probably that same shoulder that was uh, bothering him the year that he ran into the wall at Fenway that derailed what was going to be a good season. So those are two guys off of our team this year. Uh, so we're off to a, a rousing start, but less about us and more about those two players at large. What were your thoughts on, on the David Price and Handler Ramirez news coming out today? Yeah. <laughs> You're screwed if you either way. It's funny because David Price is one of those 200, 200 inning guys, right? Where you're just like you look at his at his injury history and you're like, wow, he doesn't have a, a single thing in his injury history since like 2012 or yep. something. So you're healthy you till know, you're not. Yeah, you're healthy till you're not. But then the other one, Hanley, that's you know nothing predicts future injury like past injury. Exactly. So, you know, it's kind of uh, you're screwed on both ends. I do think that. The only thing you can do is kind of give your team a mix. If you have Hanley on your team, like if you're willing to to take the risk on Hanley going into the season, then get a young first baseman that might either outperform his projections or at least be healthier because he's younger, you know, because I think youth and age, those are things that are related to, to, to injury as well. So, Certainly. you know, the, I think a mix is always good. Um, I, I'm not sure off the top of my head, but I can do this pretty quickly. Who who might you pair in a, like a 15 team league? Who might you put as your Greg CI Bird. that has that has first base eligibility? I said Bohr, but you got somebody else. Greg Bird. Yes. See, they're both injury risks, but Bird is younger. And I heard I was talking in trade talks about Greg Bird, and in our score sheet league, and somebody said, "Oh, I get shades of Nick Johnson." I'm like, really? I wouldn't go that far. Nick, really? Nick Johnson never showed that kind of pop, and he was so. Uh, injury. I mean, this one injury. This Greg is Bird one played. injury for Bird. Yeah, I know. I like, Can we not throw that name on somebody? That's not even hard. nice. I couldn't believe I it. Think, I think. Like, okay. I All think right, there's whatever. 14 states where calling somebody Nick Johnson before they've played a full season is a hate crime. So. <laughs> I, you don't. You, we can talk about it offline, but we might have to pursue charges on that guy because you just can't do that. You can't just throw that out on on anybody. And if he puts that on Twitter, they would ban him in a second. Nick Johnson, come on! I loved Make, Nick Johnson, by the way. I kept falling for that guy forever. 
make it a, a, a deeper league and to, and get Eric Thames maybe. Yep. Um, well, you know, uh, that's he's not so young, but he's younger than a lot of other guys. And, and Tommy Joseph's not a baby either, and he has the concussion thing. But since he's not catching, you know, at age 25, I think he's a younger guy who health of his body is is better. The, the, again, the head stuff is problematic, but I think he would be another guy that I wouldn't mind pairing uh, to kind of offset if you're going to get not just Hanley, but also I think even, you know, this guy's actually a little bit younger. This is an interesting one. Will Myers, I think, is a guy that you also need to pair with somebody who's a little bit more stable. I was kind of looking at things, you know, and as much as I like Will Myers, you and I have, have talked him up. We, we were big fans last year. I'm concerned that maybe he's a little bit overdrafted at pick 58, considering this was his first full season of health. And I'm not even sure he was entirely healthy throughout. I think he just played through through some more nagging things uh, as opposed to, you know, having to go on the DL for them. So I, I almost might pair him. Would, would we? Would you do the reverse where you take the young potential injury risk and you pair him with an old stable guy like Adrian Gonzalez? Myers Belt would be interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Myers Belt. I like that. You know, Belt no longer a baby anymore. Um, he's a little bit more of the established veteran who the upside is I don't think it's really there anymore uh, in right. terms of really thinking that there's going to be some big mid-20s, low-30s homer projection. But uh, a 29-year-old who, who who plays, you know, he's had one big injury season where he only played 61 games in 14, but then buck 45, buck 50, buck 37, buck 56. And ceiling wins you leagues probably. That's why everyone goes for ceiling. Ceiling wins you, especially in the in the deeper leagues. Ceiling is is the is the go for broke strategy, right? You just yep. draft a bunch of ceiling and hope they all hit. But you know, I think the the you know the Finish in the top three every year strategy is to mix ceiling and floor. And I, I agree. And honestly, I don't even think that the ceiling only is the way to win because you know that you're never going to get everyone to pan out. Right. I actually think that you're onto something where the mix is the right way to win because if you're putting yourself in that top three every year, you're going to get a first place every once in a while because right. you are going to get three breakouts to pan out instead of one. But if you're taking and, nine guys who got a who got a step forward. Ugh, yeah, I, I don't that's, like that. That actually happened to me one year in labor, and I, I came back, and everyone said your team's too young, and I said, "Oh, really?" And then, yeah, I did terribly. And I, I think that's, I think it is something young, young, old. That what we're talking about is ceiling floor, and I, I think that what you want out of your very top picks is a high floor with more ceiling. That's like a Carlos Correa, you know. That's like um, even a Chris Bryant. I think could hit for more power, and more batting average in the future. So. Yes. Harper. That's what you want is high, and then the worst case, Chris Bryant is is not much worse than last year. So, I think you you want with the first picks that you're getting is high floor plus high ceiling, and then your rest of your picks have to be kind of a mix between ceiling and floor. Otherwise, you're right. Then you get that team that's either first or last, and I think those teams are more often always last. But um, you know, Will Myers, you know the 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 the, the mitts. He's got these huge hands, and he couldn't. You know, he, he might just always have wrist injuries if, you know, there's, there's something there for me. You know, yep. he's always, it's, a, it's semi-chronic if you want to think about it that way because I he's agree. had wrist injuries to both wrists and they've kind of bled over into into, into more ceilings. So. And that, that's why I'm a, I'm a little bit concerned after the big year and it was so sexy. What was it, 28-28 on the homers and steals? I, I'm just a little bit concerned that maybe he's going too early. Last year I loved him because the, the price was tanked. And I believe in the talent. And I still believe in the talent. 
I just am a little bit suspect on the health. So if I do take Will Myers, I'm backing him up pretty quickly with what I think could be more of an elite corner that I could slot into first and then pick up another corner elsewhere if he gets hurt. So, you know, I wouldn't even necessarily be averse to like a, a Will Myers, um, you know, Chris Davis sort of thing. I don't love Chris Davis, but I could put him if I, if he's my corner, that'd be that'd be sexy. And then if he had to go to first permanently, and then I could fill in with a corner because third base is so deep. I'm just saying, be careful there. Uh, Hanley obviously is the other way. We already know what we're getting into with his age. I'm less concerned about that than David Price, though. Price obviously is is a major concern. If well, we don't less to say about David Price, exactly because we have no idea. If you don't learn anything concrete by Saturday when you when you draft. Where do you think you are with David Price? If, if all we know is that he's still going to visit and there's literally no further movement, he has an MRI and we don't have more detail, do you have any idea where you're at? And you don't have to give an exact bid number, but just like, would you even, would you even speculate? There's no way that I can do 18 plus. 18 plus is where, you know, you're getting guys who have high floors, you know, speaking yeah. of which, you know. You get and, good players uh, at 18 bucks plus in AL labor. Yeah, so you're talking, uh, you know, worst case, uh, you know, your Paxton Fulmer types are going to go for 18. So yep. uh, Shoemaker, maybe in there. So, you know, I, I think I'd have to go beyond that. I'd have to go down to, um, you know, at 10 bucks, you can still get an interesting veteran maybe or definitely get a young guy that you're excited about. I and, saw um, – Schechter and somebody else talking about it on Twitter saying 11 bucks would anybody go to 12 on on David Price. I wouldn't go that far because you know just pulling a name out of a hat, you know like a Carlos Rodon might be around there. Yep. And I I'd much rather have him. So I think I would be closer. He's he seems like above the 5. I'm looking at the $5 names and I'm not in love with those names. So yeah, okay. Definitely more than 5. I doubt I'd go to 12. It would be really tempting you know i i wish i had contacts in the boston organization that i could you know you know send out a feeler although i think he's going to the doctor so i think we're going to hear something i, I think we are too it was a hypothetical yeah, um, i got people dressed tonight <laughs> exactly i would say eight to 12 if you if you if you're a risky mofo but uh eight if uh if nobody else in your league is is biting I got uh I got Dambrowski's autograph one time, so maybe I could reach out to him. <laughs> hey man, remember in Texas? It was like six years ago, you signed a ball for me and you said, Nobody really asks for my autograph. Yeah, I was wondering if you can give me some David Price news. Yeah, give me the inside. How did dirt. you get this phone number? Uh, yeah. You signed a ball for me. I just retell him the whole story. You signed a ball for me. It was in Texas. <laughs> uh, okay, a couple more qu- uh, quick news tidbits, and then we're going to dive in on the Phillies today because they're actually a pretty interesting fantasy team, I think. Andrew Kashner shut down with a bicep injury. I wasn't touching it with a 10-foot pole this year. Anyway, a complete wait-and-see guy, and if there was something there, I, I might jump back in. But uh, that was we had a nasty divorce this winter. He got everything, unfortunately, because... 
because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, moved to Texas. It, it, it's different divorce rules. He got everything from me. I got cleaned out, but that's all right. I had beard back. Yeah, I had to break away. Exactly. He gets his beard back. He got uh, visitation rights with Charlotte. <laughs> he got my PlayStation Four. I'm screwed, y'all. It's terrible. Oh, my lord. I know. It's, I'm I'm done. I'm done for. <laughs> um, and Derek Norris could be released. Mm, where did I hear that somewhere? Mm. Oh, that's oh, did man. I say? Did I say nobody's gonna trade for him? I think no, I said. Did you say that they probably can't even trade for? Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, we, we could be turning ourselves into, and, and, and it's more, it's more you, let's be honest. Uh, the, the DFA whisperer, I think is what I want to go with. <laughs> Please don't ever. I, nobody wants me to know. Park. I mean, you were on, you were on Park. And <laughs> yeah. I think I was the one who was like, oh no, they could get something for Derek Norris. And you're like, nah, he can get released. And I'm like, okay. And now you can get released. So, uh, who's getting released next? You know? no, 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 I'm just kidding. No. I'm kidding. So, uh, Cashner and Norris, I know this, this is a way for me to, to kill my rep with the players. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Eric Hosmer was caught talking to, you know, in the clubhouse and now the, the Royals are saying no extension and maybe outright cut. Uh, <laughs> these, these are deeply considerations at all anyway, but how, how do you feel about Cashner and Norris now with, with, crappy news for both of them uh you know i just cashner and to go to texas to get uh to get right yeah good luck yeah i didn't uh i didn't think that was going to work out um i don't know i think you know an nl team with a good uh with a good pitching coach that has you know a new idea for him that might be interesting it's the obvious one but i wanted pittsburgh of course yeah, that's if they weren't going to get Nova too, this was when initially in the spring or in the in the fall when they were saying that they might not re-sign Nova, I was like, well then just take a take a flyer on on Cashner and another guy or two like him and see what you can get. Maybe both guys, Cashner and Ross, ended up Texas got both of them. So I I don't mind the gamble on the on the arm talent, but the the place where he's going is just ugh. And so bicep injury added to the fact that he was already going to be suspect. Are you are you considering him in any league type right now, Andrew Kashner? Mm, no, I don't think so. I mean, it, it, like one of those uh, leagues where an SP eligible reliever is useful. Okay, there might be might be something. Sure, for you. sure, and th- those head to head points leagues they they can be very helpful there. Like uh, if you're in a head to head points league where you have to have you know three SPs, three RPs, and then maybe a, a couple wild cards. When you have to have those RPs and it's points, somebody like Danny Duffy, I think skyrockets because he's going to be an uh, SP keep with RP eligibility. While, while, they're, while they're in the starting things, when you don't have a starter, yeah, that's a good point. So, uh, okay, uh, Derek Norris, two-catcher league. Is there any depth where you're even considering him, though, um, now that Weeders is there and they're talking catcher. about this? <sighs> if I heard he was going to an AL team that – actually needed a a second um a second uh second catcher dh backup yeah by the way we should mention if he gets cut he will get scooped somewhere so it's not like his career is going to be over i don't mean to imply that that's why i'm saying he could still have some viability in a two-catcher league, but if we don't know which, it's probably a single league like you're saying, and if we don't know which league Derek Norris might go to, that really curbs even his $1 appeal. Because I just, 
I don't think he can be any worse. But they did sign Wieners, and they do like uh, Lobatone as a veteran backup, and then I believe his name is Pedro Severino as a as a, a guy on the come up. So they have catching depth with this, and that's why I thought they would try to trade for something for Norris, but maybe not. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't see much, uh, in his future. And maybe, you know, there's this third catcher situation that some, uh, they oh get into God. where they're kind of, where they are kind of on the team. Maybe they start the team when someone's injured and then they have to go down the minors, try to clear waivers, that sort of deal. I mean, that, that, that keeps a lot, there's a lot of those guys in the league. And sometimes those guys break out. And if Norris was on a team that had like an injured older backup and they were like, okay, we'll take Norris. We'll see. Like people were talking about the Mets. Um, but Travis Darnot is going to stay healthy and hit 25 right. home runs this year. Right. So then Norris comes in and plays. And then if Darnot gets hurt again, like he does and Norris has that big bounce back. I mean, it's not impossible. It's not impossible. That might not actually be a bad team. The White Sox seem like a decent one too with Giovanni Soto. Whatever you got, yeah, yeah. And and so keep an eye on that. Honestly, I I wouldn't completely write off Norris if he goes to a team like this that we're talking about. And it is AL only where uh, I think you're alluding to the fact that maybe he could he could DH sometimes, maybe play some first base uh, on off days or whatever. It's a one dollar thing, but it's a one dollar gamble. I'd I'd be willing to take as my C two. Sometimes people put C twos in there that you know are just going to do nothing. There is still a glimmer of hope that Derek Norris can do something. But we've given this too much time on Derek Norris. Let's talk some Phillies because, uh, like I said, they've got a pretty interesting fantasy team here with the with the youth and some of the veteran presence that they have. Uh, they're they're a team on the come up for sure. A lot of prospects that we're going to be able to talk about here that could make impact this year as well as in the future. So let's just dive in with our questions first. Starting on offense, of course, my favorite guy on the team, Michael Franco. Remember last year? I think it was last year that he had a huge spring, and it's funny because uh, you know I'm I'm as I'm as out there as anybody that's saying don't don't get too hyped on spring. And, but then I'll admit, sometimes when it's a guy I like, I'll all of a sudden start caring a little bit. So when, when he's popping eight homers or whatever it was, I'm like, yeah, I love this dude. And, and he's crushing it in spring. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna get hyped on it. His price did rise because of it. He had nine home runs last year. But even to the level that the price rose on Michael Franco, I don't think it made him uh, to a point where, you know, he failed you, even though he didn't pan out on on what that spring training success might have meant for some because he still had a big season 25 and 88 uh homers and ribbies in 630 plate appearances it only came with a 255 average but um i i I think that that was still a solid enough season for a 23 year old in his first full season that i'm still super hyped on on michael franco is there is there another step forward coming this year there there was something that happened in the second half last year. He leveled his swing out a little bit and hit the ball harder. And I don't know if that's necessarily good for power, but uh, his average launch angle in the first half was 11.3. In the second half, uh, it was 8.4. He's he, he kind of actually strikes me as a guy that won't actually ever hit 40, especially since his launch angle has remained sort of in that range. Mm-hmm. He's a line drive hitter. I was going to say, will he add – Batting average, though, because that's kind of what I thought. I, I didn't think that Michael Franco was going to be someone who's pushing upper 30s, low 40s. But if he hits low 30s with a 285, I'm taking that all day. Yeah, I mean, he, he went from 
uh, 89.6 average exit velocity to 90.9 in the second half. So that's, I think, uh, important because he's, he hit the ball harder. He hit the ball in those line drive angles. And I think that in the future we can see something that's a little bit more, you know, I hesitate to ever put a 300 on a guy, but with a guy who can strike out 15 or 16% of the time, have above average power, hit the ball really hard, and has already had a 280 on his on his resume. It was only 335 play appearances in 2015, but you know, 280 is possible. I think he can be like a 290, 300 hitter, and I think that that 25 homers he hit last year is decent enough to to play a guy that has plus uh, that has plus batting average. So and 88 you know, ribbies on a Philly team too. He only hit yeah, he only hit 255 last year. I think that'll be the outlier. I think the reality of the situation is he's gonna be in sort of a 20 to 27 type home run range and not be, that's not really an asset at third base in terms of power, but it's not a detriment. It's, uh, okay. it's a guy who will hold his own against anybody power wise, won't show you in his speed. As the team around him improves, the runs in RBI will improve. And I think the batting average will get better every year. I had a team, it was a mock, so I'm not going to go too deep on it, but, uh, where I got Arenado in the first round and then Franco was my, my, CI, and I really like that setup. Like, I, I think that you could definitely make him your, your corner infielder this year, and that, I think that really, uh, is a good way to go. If you got that stud first base and third base, and then he's your corner, that can definitely work. But there is a depth of third base that I understand if you wait and you make him your starting third baseman, I'm, I'm completely fine with that, but I also like kind of stacking corner infielders and getting getting what I consider three studs because I, I mean I mean two superstars and 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 uh, you know a rising star in Franco. Uh, I mentioned this guy earlier Tommy Joseph speaking of of corner infielders he's a first baseman former catcher who again dealt with so many concussions that he just had to get back get out from behind the dish came up popped 21 homers last year showed some really exquisite power 505 slug he's got some folks hyped for sure going into his age 25 season what is a realistic expectation for tommy joseph in a full year i'm worried that he gets a little exposed as a right-hander i mean that was he he uh he didn't quite get the full Full go of things last year, mm-hmm. and I don't think it was just because he um, came up late because he only had a hundred plate appearances in in AAA before he came up. Exactly, he came up in mid May and still only wound up with 347 plate appearances. And to your point, Tommy Joseph had a 774 OPS against righties, 912 against lefties. He crushes lefties. That playing time is secured. Will he seven seventies? I would I would guess is below average for a first baseman. So, um, you know, great DFS play. Yes, against uh, any any lefty. I mean, maybe not Kershaw, but like virtually any other lefty. Tommy Joseph was so cheap. I didn't care that he was batting sixth and seventh at times. He was just too good not to play against a lefty. But to count on him to hit thirty one homers, like the depth chart says. I mean, maybe the Phillies do that because they're bad. I mean, they, and they're just like, hey, let's just run this guy out here every day. And, you know, either he becomes our backup or we, or he becomes that guy that's like okay enough for a team, uh, to hold on to. You know what I'm saying? Like, if he's Certainly. our worst player yes. when we're good, 
then and he's cheap, then that's fine. But he just seems really eminently replaceable. And if you're in a dynasty or keeper league, you don't really want a player that could put up 600 play appearances and be worth one win. It's just the kind of thing that teams are going to look at, they're going to figure out, and they're not going to count on, you know, for the future. So you're, it's not, he's not a building block. He's who would, a, who would take his, uh, verse right EPA this year though? Cause Ryan Howard's gone. Is it something like, uh, does Chris Coglin, I know he played everywhere, does he play any first base? He's played 11 games there in his career, including a few last year. So is, is, is he somebody who might take the playing time? I believe he's a left-hander, yeah? I thought it was going to be Darren Ruff, but I guess he's gone. He got traded to – why did he get traded to the Dodgers? The Dodgers, yeah. He traded to the Dodgers for Howie Kendrick. The Kendrick deal. Oh, could, Ke- could Kendrick take some of the time? I yes. know he's going to be playing left field. Uh, but but, but let's say Aaron Althair takes a, take a step ex- forward exactly. and you want to play Saunders – Herrera and Althair. And, um, and, and actually, Althair is a, a, a righty, so that could be the, the whole, the whole idea could be against lefties could be stacked the lineup with righties, and that would be Althair and, and Kendrick. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. It's not necessarily represented on our depth charts, although we have Kendrick having 35 plate appearances there. I think that it's a di- distinct possibility, actually. Then the more that I t- think about it, because I think that's probably if you trade Darren Ruff, what you're saying is, you know, we wanted a right-hander. Uh, he's not going to start at second base for us because we already have a second baseman, and you know, maybe we want a, a, a more versatile right-hander. So maybe he can play outfield, maybe he can per- play first base, and, and he can still can. obviously play some second if Cesar Hernandez. Uh, has any issues. In fact, let's jump over to the middle infielders. Cesar Hernandez and, and Freddie Galvis both had surprising, uh, surprisingly viable fantasy seasons last year. Freddie Galvis hit 20 home runs for crying out loud, stole 17 bases. Uh, the, the 37 homer plus stolen base was enough to mitigate the 241 batting average. Meanwhile, Cesar Hernandez was more in line with kind of what we would have expected from him, which, uh, was high, high batting average, good, Solid stolen base, like 17 stolen bases. That that's just kind of the market that we're in right now. That 17 stolen bases is is, is kind of worthwhile still, especially with a 294 average. Um, he stole 19 in 622 plate appearances the year before, so only stealing 17 was a bit disappointing for Cesar Hernandez. That's because he was 17 for 30, which is uh, definitely suspect. But again, 294 average uh, wasn't a complete zero at at, at homers with with six. Two middle infielders. I'm personally not really interested in either. They, they, I know there's some hype on Cesar Hernandez to maybe, uh, really improve himself SB wise and steal mid twenties, but whatever. And Freddie Galvis, I think, no, just, just no, Freddie, stop with your 20 mm-hmm. home runs. But, uh, how do you feel about, about these two guys? Are, are, are you digging into the fantasy viability of Cesar Hernandez or Freddie Galvis? I thought I would just make sure Galvis is 172nd of 223 when it comes to uh, exit velocity on air balls, on fly balls. So uh, he's right there with noted power monsters Yadier Molina <laughs> and Jorge Polanco. So, Yo, uh, those dudes mash. I think, you know, I think... The, the reality of today's league is that guys are more, you know, everyone can be a 12 to 15 guy. Yep. But, uh. Um, I think, I think they're all 
kind of seeing some of the Statcast stuff and realizing the importance of launch angle and exit velocity and and figuring out a way to to get their homers and wait, waiting on their pitch to, to go yard. The craziest thing that the, the, I still think the craziest stat from last year with the homer stuff is that run scoring didn't actually go up. Like that's that's the most nuts thing about it is that with all those homers, that just became the way that that the league scored as opposed to you know stringing hits together. Yeah, yeah, and so Hernandez on the other hand, I mean, he doesn't actually tr- you know do that well by exit velocity either. I was looking it up, but I got sidetracked. But you know, on air balls, he's 195th, but he he has even less power than than Galvis. You you kind of want to? I want to check it on grounders just to see if he's good at the sort of line drive ground ball thing. But I don't think he's an exit velocity thing, and I think he might actually be better served by um, by you know, hitting it softly. I mean, he's not Billy Hamilton, but but he's know, fast. But he's fast enough to. Well, look at that. He's actually 292nd out of 421 on um, exit velocity on ground balls. But he's made it work. I mean, it's. I think that's that's his plan is to put on the ground and run sort of deal. Yep. It's sort of weird. I think then I think I do agree that he can improve his 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 stealing percentage, and I think that he's so overlooked. He is really so overlooked. I don't think that I really want him in a 12 or 15. Uh, As a 15 12, middle, maybe? Yeah, in late. Cause but, that, yeah, you'll get, you'll get Cesar Hernandez late. He's picked 292 right now. Um, he's still going ahead of, of, of my, my good guy though. You know, uh, you know, I love Joe Panic as the guy the, uh, in there. And so that, that's, that's who I'm looking at. Uh, I just think he's going to hit. Better average than Cesar. Although, you know, in fairness, Panic is a little bland outside of the batting average, and Cesar Hernandez is at least going to steal the double digits. And the the thirteen swipe uh, caught stealing certainly jumps out compared to what he'd done the year before. He was nineteen for twenty four. So if last year was an aberration success wise, then we are talking twenty five plus stolen bases for Cesar. So maybe I'm giving a little bit of short shrift because another aspect that I do like is he's a career nine percent walk rate and thirteen hundred and thirty plate appearances. Um, so even if the batting average comes back down to say closer to the two eighty that his career mark is, I think the OBP will still be fine in that three forty to three fifty range, and that's going to keep the opportunities coming for the for the SBs. So maybe I gave uh, Cesar a little bit of short shrift. I, I, I will change my mind a little bit. Definitely an NL only. I actually think there's some opportunity there to be to be excited about him. Okay, okay. Let's so, let's let's uh, move on. Um, uh, let's jump over to the pitching because I'm probably a little bit more intrigued by the pitching here. This was a team that last year, you know, they got off to a halfway decent start and they were looking like a little bit of a surprise team, but the bullpen was just so bad that it was hard to believe that they were going to stick around as anything you know more than a team that could could take a series from a quality team in any given weekend but for the most part they were going to fade and then they faded they ended up winning i think 71 games but that rotation is still pretty impressive um they do have a newcomer in 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 clay suckles to go with jeremy hellickson aaron nola jared eikoff vincent velasquez interesting crew let's start with the two guys that are most intriguing to me at the top and and let me get your pick of the two vince velasquez or aaron nola who do you like better Maybe I'll give you some prices I, no, too. I, I like Aaron Nola. I think Aaron Nola deserves uh, some conversation because Aaron Nola is 
Um, he's really interesting because he doesn't do it. He, he's if he's going to do it, he's going to be more like a Kyle Hendricks than most people. Because sure. last year he had a, a plus strikeout rate, but he had it on a mediocre swinging strike rate, and um, you know the. It is rare to, to have that many strikeouts with that few swing strikes. But I do think that there is some advocacy that we've talked about for him to throw the curveball like Rich Hill level. Yes. And the changeup actually has really good movement. So it needs to, it needs to, um, get to, you know, twelve percent. You know, twelve percent, fifteen percent on that changeup. I think is another way that he could go forward with getting more swinging strikes. So keep eating into a, into Nola's fastball usage, which is only eighty nine ninety. Um, and he and he went from sixty four to fifty eight percent, fifteen to sixteen. You're saying maybe even fifty percent and shuffle some of that over to the curveball and changeup. Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's he's got but see the other thing that he does that does really well, and this is part of the curveball, but the thing he does really well is that he throws the ball for called strikes. He was like one yes. or two in called strikes last year. Big time. Yeah, so, that, that both of his seasons he's been a called strike master. Yeah. So I think um I think that uh, he's going to be underrated if you focus too hard on things like velocity and swinging strike rates, which are things that I've loved in the past and I think are useful things. But you, there's a very high likelihood, I think, of him being an outlier because of his uh, a really good ability to get called strikes, which is one of the things that drives Kyle Hendricks' value. So, you know, I, I think um, he's a more classic Kyle Hendricks where Vince Velasquez, if he makes it work, uh, I'm trying to think of a guy who was injured a lot but had, like, real big stuff and, and put it together and was great. I don't know, like, Garrett Richards. I, I mean, know. Richards is is still injured. It's part of right. the issue. Um, you know, it, it, he's not quite Strasburg, but Strasburg keep, has amazing stuff yeah, and he keeps getting he, hurt. Velasquez is, is, is similar in that he has three really good secondary pitches, you know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and Velocity. So, you know, if, if that kind of guy puts it together, oh my god. It's, yeah, it's you know? so sexy. I mean, Carrasco keeps getting so, hurt. Carrasco. Uh, he, he could be a little bit like Carrasco. And there's even the sort of putting him in the pen and a little bit of velocity changes and lots of injuries. Yep. But Carrasco already had Tommy John and who knows what's coming, you know, what's coming down the pipe for him. So, you know, Velasquez is just a high risk guy. That makes him, he can't be my one, two, or three, I don't think, because there's so much injury risk. Well, let me get Eikhoff in the mix, because, um, I didn't mean to, to sell him short here. It probably should be a, a three, a three player discussion, because they're all going very close in average draft position. Velasquez is the 50th starter off the board at pick 186. Eikhoff is pick, pitcher 54 at 204. And Nola is 56 at 209. So all three are, are in a very tight band there. And, and again, the market says Velasquez, Ikoff, Nola. You're talking Nola up. Are you talking a Nola above Ikoff? I know you like Ikoff as well. Yeah. And, and better yet, before you answer, are you saying Velasquez below the other two because of his risk? Um, okay. So let me look at this real quick. Uh, Ikoff. Started throwing the slider more in the second half. And if you look at him starting from when he threw the slider a lot more, 
he had two uh, he had two breaking balls with 17% whiffs. That's really good on a curve. That's even more excellent than Nola's curve. So he's got a, a real strikeout curve. And then he added a strikeout slider, and the change is decent for ground balls and not giving up homers. So it's a little bit like a like an, a super sinker or something. He doesn't, you know, a, a, an extra ground ball weapon that he can use against lefties. But it's it's not an amazing pitch. The thing that has hurt him is that his sinker, his sinker has below average whiffs, okay ground balls, but also gives up a lot of homers. So I think the big thing for him is that he needs to find command of that sinker, which in terms of, you know, his, his, all of his, uh, history, he's probably thrown less often. He's been more of a four seam guy and he's kind of getting to, to know the sinker. So I think that's possible. I mean, that's one thing that the Pirates do is everyone comes up and throws the four-seamer, and then they're like, okay, Tyon, you prove that you have pretty good command with the four-seamer. Let's see you do with the sinker. Mm-hmm. So I think um, I think that with Eikhoff, command is the thing, and getting to be more comfortable with the sinker is, is really what you're looking for. They all have things they have to do. You know, they Certainly. all have, you know, Nola needs to show he's healthy, and... You know, I would say that maybe Nola, as much as I love him, maybe Nola needs to be second or third because if you think about the things they have to do to be great, Nola has to keep that strikeout rate, be healthy, and maybe change his pitching mix a little bit, right? Sure. Because he gave up a ton of homers and was unhealthy last year. So that's two or three things. Well, and I, I want to give... Velasquez only has to do one thing. Stay healthy? Yeah. Yeah, and just be sexy. Uh, right. while he stays healthy. The, I will give, I, I want to give Nola a little, cut him a little slack with regards to, to the Homer situation is that I think he was clearly pitching hurt in, in the last several outings. And I think that that inf, inflated his numbers. I mean, if you kind of look at him, uh, through June 5th when he had a 265 ERA, he'd only allowed seven homers in 78 innings. I mean, everything was looking really filthy. And then, you know, Three and two thirds, four runs. Three innings, six runs, uh, or six earned, eight runs. Three innings, eight runs, seven earned, then five, five. Randomly, he, right, or not randomly, right when he came off the first DL stint, he throws six shutout against Miami. Probably got nicked again because the next two starts were four and six, five and three, uh, with, with eight hits, uh, three walks. So it was such a weird finish to his season there that I, I feel like he was pitching through a lot of, a lot of health. But again, that goes to the biggest issue for Nola, which is he needs to stay healthy. Uh, whereas like you said, the others, uh, have multiple, uh, or, or, or Velasquez doesn't have as many hurdles and Eikhoff doesn't necessarily have as many either. I have a question on Eikhoff, an interesting name comparison, perhaps maybe I'm way off base here, but I'm going to do it just because of some of the things that you were describing. Great secondary, two, two strong secondary breakers, um, solid enough change up, bad fastball that has home run issues. Does it not look like kind of like the beginning of Kluber's breakout? Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have the same velocity, not at all, because, uh, but, but he, uh, Kluber didn't have great velocity and Kluber was in the heart of the league. I was going to say Kluber added the velocity. So if you look at that 2013 for Kluber, and it was 147 innings, 22% strikeout rate, 5% walk rate, 385 ERA, 126 whip. You look at Eikhoff last year, 197, 21% K, 5% walk, 365, 116. 
that looks very similar, not just with the stats, but also with the makeup of it, like you're saying, where the fastball sinker, the sinker was the issue, and the secondaries are there. I don't know. I'm not saying that he's Kluber, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty interested in Eikhoff, and it, and a lot of it is, is because of the way you've, you've had me give him a second look, uh, with the way you talk about him on, on the show. And, you know, you look at the two breakers, they're really interesting. So, um, you're ranking them, how are you ranking them again? The three, the three starters? I'm gonna go with, um, I think I'm gonna go with Velasquez first. Okay. Eikhoff second and Nola third. Okay, so just like but the market. I, I like all of them, man. Same here. I like all of them. And in fact, there's so much risk around him that, um, around Nola. Uh, in Velasquez, I mean. There's so much risk around Velasquez. I see the floor higher for the other two. That, that's completely fair because. The floor for Velasquez is just hurt. Yeah, it, it is, is it pops the, the wrong way. I, I, I use that sometimes to say that a guy will pop and be great, but you know. The, the elbows, the elbow pops and, and he's done is, is the, is the downside with Velasquez. Whereas, you know, Eikhoff and, and Nola, you know, again, Nola needs to stay healthy too, but I think all three have some very intriguing, uh, potential to, to, to be solid too, because even, even Velasquez, I don't think the market is, is too crazy on him at, at 50th among starters and then the other two are cheaper so would you invest in two of them on a given team or, or do you stay away from multiple guys on on a crummy team do you have do you no, have any actually, no i think that'd be fine i mean yeah okay your wins might suffer a little bit but um i don't see it being uh such a huge deal i agree i don't see, I don't, I don't see because they're not so expensive and they all have i think they all could be number ones this year not not like number one, number one. Fantasy like number be, one. Yeah, number twos, okay? Like, they could all be, like, value number ones, right? Like, yes. guys that you picked with as the 50th or 60th pitcher that became the 25th or the 20th, 20th pitcher. So, all those, those are guys that definitely help you win leagues. And, um, you know, I don't know. I, I think, um, I'm I'm giving Eikhoff a second look here. I actually went um, Nola Velasquez Eikhoff on my rankings, and I actually put a little split between each of them. Now that they're they're in that range that we've talked about before, where the splits aren't as vast as the number difference might make you think, but even still, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna bunch them closer in my March update, and I'm gonna move Eikhoff up. Um, you know, I I remember writing a piece on him when he first came up. And I was impressed. And then I think he just kind of fell off my radar. And I didn't give him the, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't pay attention last year to the fact that he was putting up a pretty healthy season. 197 innings of a 365, 116. That's pretty strong, especially when you have a 1-4 home run per nine. Now that could mean that there's going to be more runs in the future. But if he works on that homer per nine, then that ERA comes down closer to the whip. And all of a sudden we got ourselves something there. So they got a nice 1-2-3 there. Um, uh, or they're not the one, two, three though, because we have to at least mention Hellickson. He had a good season last year and he's that veteran guy who I think is even going to get the opening day start. I don't consider him their number one, but how do you feel about, about Hellickson uh, coming off of a solid season where he took the qualifying offer? I feel like he's mostly downside. I mean, I know that he found that cutter and that's part of it's good. But I just don't think that there's much left, you know? So it's, what are you buying, you know? It's all about hit suppression. 
if, 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 right. if he doesn't get positive hit suppression, um, you know, with, with a favorable BABIP and, uh, and also stranding runners, you know, aspects that you can't be certain of. And the BABIP was the major difference last year, 274 down from 291. Without that, then he's back in the fours for sure. Helixson is. And he had good BABIP suppression back in the day too, but it was more with a, uh, Heavy dose of pop-ups and sort of stuff. Well, he did get his pop-ups back last year. I, I, I did just see that. So maybe he is back into his early days of, of Babbitt suppression, but but he needs that Helixson does to, to be a, a, a mixed league value. I don't think I'm taking him anywhere. I don't think so either. I just by the time that he's becomes a useful player term in terms of cheapness. I think I'll be looking at young guys that yeah, could break so out. many other guys. Yeah. Um, you know, just around him are uh, Zach Davies, even Lance Lynn, who's not necessarily young. I would take much, much way far ahead of Helixson. And then just after him, Cobb, Bauer, Conley. I'd bet on a Jordan Zimmerman rebound. Um, I'll take Jason Hamill's good four months over Helixson. Liriano showed some life in Toronto. Luke Weaver's a guy we've talked about. Mike Fultonevich. I could keep going. I'm not taking Jeremy Helgson, so I don't think we need to say much more. Any love? You guys know how I feel, so I'm out on this question. Any love for uh, Buckholtz going to going to Philly? Are you doing anything with that? No. Cletus the slack jawed yokel. Okay. The the uh, the velocity wasn't really there. It wasn't it wasn't exciting to me. There's also the uh, not being very good thing too. There's there is that that kind of lingers with with old Clay. Uh, who closes in Philly? It's going to start out with someone that's different than the rest. I think Jeff Zimmerman had a great piece this week oh, on photographs about so good. It's even worse than I thought. I thought when I did my column for Roto World, I did some counting and I saw that I think I didn't count injury, so I said that thirty percent of closers lose their jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think probably if you use 30% lose their jobs to due to a talent and then you add an injury, you probably get close to, to Zimmerman's numbers. But he flipped it on his head and basically said 40% of closers keep their, job, keep their jobs. That's bad. Uh, don't, it, tell it, me, don't tell me that spending a lot of money on closers is a good idea. I, 40% of them keep their value, uh, keep their role. That's terrible. I mean, so, if, you, if you spend on the ones that are going to keep their value, but... Then yeah, that's amazing. If if you spend on all the top picks that are great, then they're great. Are you sure? No, I'm <laughs> kidding. That's actually really funny. No, I get it. I get it. I still don't mind getting the ones that I I, I feel very confident in. But I I completely understand, and I think your strategy has always been: if you don't get one of those super studs, then you're out on the middle, right? And then uh, you start bargaining. My main thing has actually been to try and get the last guy or one of the two last guys in a tier. Of a tier, yes. Because that means that I'm not spending, I'm, by definition, I'm spending less than everybody else. I'm still, I, I used to take it totally off and be like, screw this, I'm just gonna take the five guys at the end that I like, you know? But then, you know, those five guys are available because they're not really great. And so then I never get that boost that, you know, 15k9 from a, a Roldis Chapman or something. I never get that uh, that ace reliever in the same way. Mm-hmm. And I find myself spending most of my FAB, most of my energy, just looking for closers and a lot of churn and burn. And how how can I hold five relievers on my roster when two of them are closers type stuff? 
Um, so I don't really enjoy that. I don't think that it's necessarily the way to win. So what I've, what I've modified is just try to get one stud but pay less than everybody else for your stud. Try to get one okay guy but pay everybody less. And then for my third guy, since it's the last tier or whatever, uh, you know, it's going to be a guy who's probably not a closer. But in this case, I'd love to have Hector Neris as my third guy because, yeah, Benoit might start out with it. Actually, it looks like Gomez. Gomez it looks like Jean-Marc Gomez it. is going to start with it, which... But he allows too many balls in play. And if you look at his career, he's been bad as as often as he's been good. Yep. He could easily... He hasn't even be been that bad. good. Yeah, he's never been that good. So you, you start out with bad version of Gomez, and he gives too many balls in play, and all of a sudden his ERA is bloated. And, um, you know, what do you do? What do you do then? Then you go to Benoit, maybe. But then maybe Benoit's hurt, because Benoit's hurt all the time. Mm-hmm. Benoit's getting older. Maybe Benoit's giving a lot of homers, because he's in Philly and, you know... I don't know, whatever. Maybe he's hurt. So Naris is the best pitcher in that pen. It's just how long are they going to stay away from him? How long what are they going to do? I, I would, I think, uh, I might end up at the end with like Benoit Naris on a team, you know, as my fourth and fifth relievers spend a 50 cents dollar, you know, that type of deal on those guys and, um, see how long they stay on my roster because they may not even make it to closer dumb on my roster. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't, so don't that, worry about it too hard. One of the points that you mentioned out front there about not wanting to spend all your fab and all your work trying to get the saves is part of the reason that I invest in the upper tier. But, um, you know, there, there is opportunity cost there as well. You can't just do it and, and not feel any effects of it. But I will end up getting somebody probably in that top five range, uh, for me and then start speculating in the middle. And I've already mentioned that I don't mind a, a Jim Johnson who costs nothing. In, in my opinion right now, and I think it can hold the job if, if its stuff is as good. So I'm probably not messing with this bullpen, but I would, Naris would be the guy I would want to take. Um, I thought Benoit was actually going to start with the gig, but it looks like Gomez. So Naris has a speculation, otherwise whatever. Uh, let's close up with, with prospects because they do have some interesting ones and we're not even going to get into the Mickey Moniacs of the world. I, I know you, uh, dynasty leaguers might, might want us to, to go in on somebody like that number one overall pick. They've got great young guys that are a couple years from, from contributing, but since we're doing the, the 2017 preview, we got plenty of guys to talk about who could make some impact this year. Uh, JP Crawford, the shortstop, Nick Williams and, and Roman Quinn in the outfield. Uh, Jorge Alfaro behind the dish and uh, our third outfielder Dylan Cousins who I believe hit 40 homers last year in the minors and so you know he's certainly a name that's that's getting some attention although it was in Reading and Eric Loggenhanger was on uh, the last episode talking about how Reading can really uh, boost some offensive numbers I believe that's where Darren Ruff hit his 90,000 home runs but it's hard not to pay some attention to a, a 40 homer 21 stolen base season which is what Cousins put up last year uh, but he's last on this list right now. Let's talk about the others. J.P. Crawford, Nick Williams, Roman Quinn, I, I think are the most impactful. You and I do not mess with prospect catchers, so you can make a mention of Jorge Alfaro, but I know that you and I in particular don't mess with guys like that. So how do you feel about these hitting prospects? As much as I like the Phillies to get better in, in coming years and uh, to be better than people think and, and quicker, and as much as I like Jorge Alfaro's defensive ability and uh, possible benefit to the team as much as I like Roman Quinn as a good fourth outfielder possible guy that makes Odebell Herrera expendable as much as I like 
you know, having this group of pitchers and having, you know, these shots in the dark pro- prospects coming up, as much as I love J.P. Crawford, I'm not sure that it, I love any of this group for fantasy. Fantasy-wise, there's, yeah. There's just no – J.P. Crawford might be – he's probably better than Simmons offensively, uh, but he, he might be like Anderson Simmons in that he comes up, is a very good player – you know, good defensively, walks a little more than Simmons, and is, you know, a very useful major league player for, for, for his team and cheap, but isn't necessarily somebody that we're all running to get for, for, pro, for, for fantasy because there's no one tool that stands out. He's he had never stole more than 14 at a level, never stole more than 25 in a year, and, you know, it's just hard to project a guy like that into stealing a bunch of bases in the major leagues. He's never. Yeah, just because he's than, a middle infielder. Yeah, never hit more than 11. Only really had like anything close to a league average ISO at one stop. Um, so, you know, I, and and those kind of guys, for what it's worth, probably don't have the same kind of walk rates in the major leagues because of the the opposing pitchers are going to fill up the zone. He's going to he's going to get challenged to say what can you do? You have a 387 slug in the minors and yeah, you only have 11 more strikeouts than walks, uh, 243 to 233 in his 1817 plate appearances is JP Crawford. But like you said, major leaguers are going to say, okay, let, let's see what you got now. Are, are you going to be D Gordon up there with the power and so we're just going to challenge you or or do you have something? Is there uh I'm looking at it now. It's, it's, I'm not, I don't even feel comfortable doing it. I'm, I'm going to back. I'm, abort, abort, abort. I was going to say, Francisco Lindor didn't put up the most amazing numbers coming up, but, but they're pretty much markedly better across the board. And he had the carrying speed. Um, because obviously he surprised when he came up relative. Oh, excuse me. I was looking at his major league numbers. When you look at the minor league, the, the, the comparison actually is a lot closer than I thought. Here was, Francisco's triple slash, 279, 354, 384. Here's JP's, 278, 372, 387. Is there anything to, to that maybe being where JP's just doesn't, maybe doesn't look as good being a younger guy scaling the minors, but when he gets to the majors, he's, he's better? Or, or am I out of bounds there because of the, uh, uh, the lack of a carrying tool, like you said? I mean, I think there's projectability. You know, there's, there's definitely, uh, he could, he's athletic and young and could be better in the future for sure. So I think that's why you buy him. But at this point, the price is pretty high too. That's uh, true. Because prospect type pounds, you know, so. almost the, the best thing might almost be to have him come up for a month or two and not do well. And we've talked about it so much on the show that the fantasy community will immediately abort and then he's, he becomes the, the worst player ever and that, you know, he'll, he'll be getting sold left and right because he wasn't a superstar immediately. And maybe that's when you jump in on JP Crawford after, after an initial, uh, flub at the majors and you realize, okay, he's 22. I don't, I'm not going to get too hung up on 200 plate appearances and then you buy it. That might be the best move with him. Uh, what about these other guys then? Nick Williams, Roman Quinn, you mentioned he could make uh, Odebell expendable, and then Dylan Cousins. The three outfielders here, they do have outfield kind of, kind of set. You know, Odebell, um, Michael Saunders they brought in, and Howie Kendrick they brought in. I guess they're not set because of their health and, and relative age. But Aaron Altair is a guy that you mentioned that you like. I like him too. Um, 
any impact from those three, Nick Williams, Roman Quinn, Dylan Cousins? Uh, it seems like it would be, I mean, every, every prospect has a bust rate, but these guys seem like they have pretty, pretty tough ones to overcome. They have flaws that they need to overcome. Uh, Nick Williams had some excitement, you know, when he's coming, when he came over from Texas in the Hamels deal. Yeah. He was yes. The Hamels guy. But that was the exact, uh, moment that, that Eric had brought up about Redding and what it can do because he was coming over from one uh, positive affiliate in Texas that, that kind of pumped him up Frisco. He, he had a good, he had a good stretch there and then he came over to Redding and kept it going. And everyone thought that maybe this was the breakout of, of Nick Williams. And then he goes into triple a last year at Lehigh Valley and, and really has a, just a mediocre season, 258, 287, 427. So uh, Eric's outlook wasn't too bright. On Nick Williams. It's just not, is, uh, I don't want to, I don't need to start with good plate discipline, but it just doesn't, he doesn't start with good plate discipline. So it's not, you know, Buxtonian in terms of contact problems. I like that. Uh, Buxtonian. But it's, <laughs> but it's also, uh, you know, the 26% strikeouts, 4% walks is a, is a tough thing to overcome. I just think that you're swinging too often. And then if you are swinging too often and doing that sort of thing, you need to almost be like a Keon Broxton where you just hit the crap out of the ball when yeah, you do hit the ball. Just obliterate and, it if you're not going to make it. he only has one year with a 200-plus ISO. So I do think that he probably has league average power or better and that you know he might play good enough defense to, to matter at some point. But I also think that if you look at what the Phillies have done with their outfield and the players they've added, that they don't necessarily think that anybody coming out of them, they just signed Michael Saunders. They're yeah. Not, they're not like, oh yeah, Nick Williams is ready, you know. They, they didn't even clear a path for Altair, let alone Williams, Cousins, and Quinn yeah. by and getting Saunders they, and Kendrick. They added two outfielders. Yeah. Yep. Kendrick is on our thing as, a, as an outfielder. So, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, Roman Quinn, is the problem is that he's the best fantasy prospect, but you know he has issues of his own with regards to plate discipline and has no power. Certainly, and so he might be in some ways one of the worst uh, real life prospects, which is important here because one of these guys has to push their way onto this roster. And you know, at this point, as much as I think that Althair is a little bit overrated by some people by a short sample breakout. I think that he, at least versus lefties, is one of the best options for this year and the short term. And then long term, you're kind of you're throwing a dart. And I think I might throw a dart and try to hit Dylan Cousins of the of the three younger guys. I'll throw darts at people. Well, that yeah, that would be mean. That's I, I, rude. I just Jeez. yeah, but, but you know, Dylan Cousins is a 22 and showed more power than Nick Williams. If they're both going to have bad play discipline, then I'm going to take the guy who showed more power. Yeah, Plus, it, you know, Dylan Cousins stole 21 out of 22, so... I was going to say, maybe he's the Keon Broxton. Yeah, yeah. So that's... that's At least you see breakout athletic production from Dylan Cousins. I know it was aided by the ballpark, but there you can see it in the speed. You can see it in other places. He's had better walk rates than Nick Williams. He's had worse strikeout rates, but he's had better walk rates and more sort of athletic numbers. So Dylan Cousins is the guy that I would own out of these guys, but I'm not paying top prospect prices for him. I'm not paying 40 homers at Reading prices. I'm I, I, I'm hoping that I can get him in a throw-in or 
um, you know, find a way to draft him at value, which is not a top 30 prospect, I don't think. Hypothetical time, because you're not in the NL labor, you're in AL. You're in reserves. Which of those prospects are you taking? Crawford, Williams, Quinn, Alfaro, Cousins. So obviously it's for 17 only. Um, 17 only? Yeah, because it's, I'm, I'm saying this is NL labor. Which is, which Roman, of them would? Roman, Roman Quinn. Okay. Let's talk about pitchers then. They've got because three. In oh. my, in my estimation there, Michael Simons gets hurt. Aaron Arthur is playing. And then they want to have a guy who pairs with him that it can also play center field. Certainly. So that's Roman Quinn's a, is a switch hitter. So at least you could do a sort of platoon with Althair. That's that that's more likely to happen than Michael Saunders gets hurt and Aaron Althair gets hurt, which is not terribly unlikely. But you're asking for both of those things to happen, and the team decides that Dylan Cousins is ready to go, and you know, and takes him over Nick Williams. I think they'd much rather probably do a short-term ad until Nick Dylan Cousins is really ready to go in their estimation. Anyway, that's that's it. The pitching side's less impressive in terms of these prospects where they rank on lists and whatnot, uh, but they do have three guys who are kind of knocking on the door and who could get a chance, and I'll just uh, ask you for your favorite here, and you can give thoughts on all three if you want, but who would be your favorite to maybe make a 17 impact between uh, Mark Appel, former top pick, uh, Ben Lively, kind of a solid mid-to-back-end rotation guy, and Nick Pavetta. Um, all three acquired via via trade, I believe. I don't think they drafted any of these guys. Um, who do you think has the, the best chance to make some some 2017 impact? All three have been in AAA. They're kind of known quantities. They're, they're uh, older guys among prospects, I think between 23 and 24 for all, all three of them. So uh, who, do you, who do you like best? Well, um, Appel has the best fastball, probably. He doesn't have the best strikeout rates recently, but at least that's something to start with. Um, I really do not like the the depth starters that they have. I think Jake Thompson is a reliever. I think Zach Eflin is a reliever, if that. Uh, Alec Asher, not my, not my, I can't find anything really compelling about him. So those three guys, I think, are headed to the pen at best. And so there is an opportunity there. Ben Lively is very, there's a lot of deception, uh, in his delivery. And if he can get back to, uh, I think there's some velocity problems there, but if he can get back to, you know, seven, eight strikeouts per nine, he might actually do better than his projections suggest because of that deception. So, um, or he comes up and is like another Yusmer Petit. He kind of teases us for a while. He he has a lot of Yusmer Petit in him. Um, I would say betting on Appel, trying to buy low on Appel would be something I might do. I don't know. There He flashes, of all the guys that they have that pitch, he flashes the best stuff. Mm-hmm. Just in the, in the middle of a game, it'll be gone. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Plus, the one thing that we talked about was um, that they actually have a, a halfway decent rotation. And so there's not going to be great opportunities for these guys anyway. So maybe maybe that's that's part of it as well. So, uh, okay, I, I think I, I agree with you there that Appel would probably be the one I would take a shot on if I was going to take a shot. So uh, that's going to about wrap it up, you know. We talked Phillies. Again, some some intriguing guys here, even though it's not going to be a good team. Not fantasy-related, but uh, how do you think this team's going to do this year? 
it's funny. There's actually it's not it's not as hard to squint and like it's not like the White Sox where you'd have to be blind to see them <laughs> competing this year. But it, I think you could squint and be like, wait a second, you know, Rupp wasn't bad. Joseph is representative. Mm-hmm. If Cesar Hernandez can improve his defense and base running and and just basically keep his head in the game. You know, if J.P. Crawford comes up and somehow lights the world on fire and, and, and takes that big step forward on the big stage, Michael Franco, you know, is the best Michael Franco. Michael Saunders stays healthy all year. And the, all three of those pitchers decide that they're going to do the things we've wanted them to do. Then, you know, then they're basically a fifth starter away, you know, and it's something you can acquire in the in the season. They're either a fifth starter or a reliever away from – you know, let's make a run of this wild card. So, um, I, you know, in terms of long term, I think probably what they'd rather is that Saunders plays well enough to maybe trade him for a starting pitcher prospect. Um, and maybe that they discover a starting pitcher to prospect in the minor leagues this year. Yep. And they've got, uh, the, the, again, we, we kind of hit on the guys who could do something this year. They've got lower level guys. That, that yeah. are appealing and they're going to have some, some guys rise up. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they found some, if they found some new guys. I agree with you there. Fast track. I think you have to fast track your pitchers to catch up to your hitters. Yep. Cause your hitters, uh, the, 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 the window that's going to open up is the Franco Crawford, uh, Odubel window. And those aren't, uh, those aren't studs on the level of like the Cubs. But they're, you know, they you you fill in the right pieces around them, and if any of like any of those Williams Cousins guys work out, then you've got a bigger core on the hitting side, and then you've got to bring up your 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 young starting pitchers that are good, quick enough to catch the tail end of Nola Velasquez and Ikoff. So fully agree. Uh, that's that's the full term. I think that you know 2019 could be a good year for them uh, if we're talking about realistic. But every year between now and 2019, I'll feel a little bit sleeperish about them. Um, you know, great stuff on, on Philly. Good luck this weekend in Phoenix. I believe you leave tomorrow. Maybe uh, I could steal you for for a day earlier in the week to maybe do like a, a 30 minute rundown of your team, so that we don't have to cover it uh, or not not don't have to, but so it's kind of its own thing. And then we still do our regular episode next week. Is that something you might have time for? Yeah, that'd be fun. Um, AL Labor uh, wrap up. That'd be great. Okay, so I yeah, be doing AL Labor on Saturday. Uh, NL Labor is Sunday. Sunday night, I'm doing a pitch talks in Phoenix. Oh, that's at awesome. The Valley Bar. Okay, you can go to uh, pitch pitch talks or is it homestand? Uh, and if you go to the Valley Bar site, you can get it. But uh, let me see what the URL is for more information. Pitch talks baseball. It might be homestand sports. They have a, they don't have a great URL situation. Um, let's see here. Pitch talks. Homestand sports. So homestand sports has a thing for events. You go to that. Pitch talks Phoenix because the first thing that comes up. It's at the Valley Bar Sunday night at 6 p.m. We've got guys like Sadev Sharma, Mike Farron, Eric Longenhagen is going to be there. Oh my Jesse gosh. Sanchez, Alex Pavlovich. We've got Mike Hazen, the GM of the Diamondbacks. That's going to be fire. Coro. Uh, it might be P. Coro, but I like Pi Coro. Jordan Bastian, Pedro Mora, Jane Lee. It's going to be fun. Uh, and then on Thursday, I'm at, uh, the Sabre Convention, Sabre Analytics. I will be on the pitching analytics panel on Thursday. 
and then Thursday night I fly out. Friday I fly to the Big Island, Hawaii, for a beer fest. Oh my to God! Cover a beer fest for October. So it's going to be a crazy couple of weeks, and maybe that the only you hear of me is the labor That's recap. That's fine. But we will we'll do labor recap plus a team, or I don't know. Yeah, we'll we'll, we will accommodate we'll we will accommodate else else uh, elsewhere to to make up for that. But that sounds like awesome stuff. So uh, you and I will coordinate offline to figure out when we can do the. Uh, do, do the labor wrap up, but have a great time this week. I'm sure you and I'll be texting uh, in the interim to kind of get your uh, game plan set up. Yeah, but, uh, get on Cheat Chat on, on Sunday around. I'll, uh, around I'll be 5 there. PMPT. I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> oh wait, 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 if you have a life, it's okay. If you're I don't. You already, you already know I don't. I think that was a shot at me. You just wanted me to admit that I don't. Uh, no, all right, you know. Twitch for a second and 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 come find me. I'm, you know I'm, what? I I will stream me helping you on Twitch. I'll be like, I'm talking to Eno right now, guys. What should we tell him to do in his draft? Twitch gold right there. I'm actually gonna be Twitch to, to telling Eno not to pick that guy. I'm actually gonna be Twitch streaming a, a mock draft tonight for the first time, kind of talking my way through every pick and all that sort of stuff. So it it, it was not just MLB the show this time, so it'll be very That's interesting. Cool. That sounds fun. All right, man. Well, I will talk to you later. Have a good one. All right. Thanks for listening.